Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. Consuming Issues with Georgie Frost. Making the pound in your pocket go that little bit further. Very warm welcome. I'm Georgie Frost and you're listening to Consuming Issues here on Share Radio, making the pound in your pocket go a little bit further. Now, this is Fair Deal, the part of the show where we take a look at ethics and the environment. Now, nowadays, we're very used to seeing lots in the media about the environmental and green movement. But a great deal of this comes from just seven friends who, back in 1971, set off to sail into a nuclear test zone on a boat they called... Greenpeace. And now a new documentary called How to Change the World reveals never before seen archive footage to bring the story of the pioneers of Greenpeace to life. I'm delighted to say I'm joined now by the director of the documentary, Jerry Rothwell. Now, Jerry, a very warm welcome to you. Hi, Georgie. Good to be here. Before we get started chatting about the film and also about yourself as well, let's take a quick listen to some of the trailer to the movie. The Atomic Energy Commission now receives the requisite authority to go ahead, including detonation. The protest ship, the Greenpeace, is heading for Amjitka, hoping to anchor offshore and stop the test. There was definitely an unfinished feeling after Amchika. Bob felt that there needed to be an ecology movement on the same scale as the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the peace movement. Hunter said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to save the whales. Whales? Whales? I thought he was just nuts. Expecting any violence on the part of the whalers? Um... Bob coined the term mind bomb for what today we would call going viral, where an idea gets into the electronic media and just spreads like ripples on a water instantly. Well, that was part of the trailer for the new documentary, How to Change the World, that Bob you were hearing there in the trailer. Bob Hunter, the role of the late leader, is covered in Jerry Rothwell's film, which focuses on the human dynamics, I guess, as well of it. Uh, Jerry, but in your own words, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a bit more about the film. Well, for me, I suppose the film started from realising that there were about a thousand cans of 16mm film uh, in the Institute of Social History in Amsterdam, which was shot on board the early Greenpeace boats. And Greenpeace is such a kind of well-known organisation, such a kind of iconic kind of environmental group. Um, I was really interested in kind of what these revealed about how how it started and who started it. Um, It was started, as you say, by a very small group of friends in Vancouver. Um, and within the space of sort of five or six years, it had become a sort of global phenomenon. And the film really is about that transition. It's about how it went from sort of 12 hippies in a boat to something that was operating in 40 different countries worldwide. Why does a British director of documentaries want to get involved in a history of Greenpeace almost, or the beginnings of? 
Um, I think, I mean, my documentary has been about lots of different things. The one before this was about uh, two girls in an Ethiopian village who wanted to become athletes. And, and before that, it was about a sperm donor in, in America who uh, was discovering his children. So they're really diverse topics. I mean, I guess the economics of making these sort of long format documentaries is that you need to have international subjects. You need something that will play across the world, not just in one country. And for me, I just look for, for stories that I kind of respond to. I don't even understand always what, what it is that attracts me to the story. But then, you know, that that sort of starts a kind of pursuit of the subject. Having pursued it, are you now any closer to why you were engaged with this subject? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm really interested in in the sort of dynamics of groups. You know, I'm interested in, in politics and in campaigning and activism. It's not a campaigning film. It's a film about campaigning and about activism and about a group of people who decide to engage and effect change. And I think you know, all of us can recognise something in how that group operated. The things that they encountered and the dilemmas they faced were the same like for any human group sort of doing mm. a project. Human Dynamics, you absolutely nailed it. I have to say congratulations. It was a very, very engaging movie. But anyone who thinks that they're going there to find out uh, a history of Greenpeace and where it's at now will be disappointed, I think, in this because it is more about the human interaction and the frailties as well. Mm. Yeah, for me, it was never I was I was never really interested in making a history of Greenpeace. I was particularly drawn to to Bob Hunter, who was Greenpeace's first president, mm. who wrote fascinating memoirs, which are nothing like the kind of writing that the president of an organization would usually write. You know, they were very sort of gonzo journalism, self-deprecating, full of humor and self-doubt. Um, and, and sort of blow by blow is an honest account of, of what happened. And I knew as soon as I encountered those books that I wanted sort of really to tell the story from Bob's perspective, who is someone who's kind of a starts out as a journalist, is asked to report on this voyage into a test zone, joins the boat and then over time becomes an activist and, and then becomes ultimately the, the, the leader of the organization, even though he's a man who hates all authority and, and hates leaders. <laughs> he mm. was actually a very good leader. And you use Bob's words throughout. Yeah, I mean, I draw, there's no sort of, there's no kind of voice of God narrator in the film. I use Bob's writings mm. as, as sort of ways of reflecting on this material, this extraordinary archive material that we see during the film. Well, it is. I mean, let's focus on some of the incredible footage in the film. Remained unseen for so long. Yeah, I mean, all of the material we see in a way was shot for a purpose, which was, was shot to campaign. You know, Bob was very prescient about the use of media. This was a, a time when, you know, for the first time you could shoot some material on film and within 24 hours you could network it across the world and onto world news and into people's living rooms on their television. And Bob kind of realised that this was an incredible tool for people who wanted to engage people, activate them, change their minds about something. Uh, and he came up with this concept of the mind bomb, which was an image which would kind of sear itself into your sort of brain and change the way that you thought about a subject. And when it came to... Um, you know, the point at which Greenpeace decided to, to go out and, and tackle the Soviet whalers. Bob knew that what they needed to get was a very particular image, which was of, of human beings risking their lives for a whale, placing a small inflatable boat in front of a harpoon gun as it sort of shot at a whale. What you also do is you capture the sense of the time as well and how that mind bomb was able to explode out as a result of the time. 
Yeah, there's a lot of beards in the film, I think. Mm -hmm. A lot of flares. A lot of flares and beards. I mean, Vancouver at that time was a really extraordinary place. You know, the sort of summer of love had kind of drifted up from California, up the coast, up the west coast of North America. Big hippie movement, combining with a sort of peace movement that came from people fleeing the draft in the US, fleeing the Vietnam draft. And Vancouver, of course, was just over the border from, from America, so people would be coming to Vancouver. Plus, Vancouver is on the edge of the British Columbia wilderness and on the edge of the ocean. So they knew about boats and they knew about the environment. And I think those those different elements sort of fused into what Greenpeace was. I mean, perhaps Greenpeace could only have been created in Vancouver at that time, this sort of fusion of peace, ecology uh, and the hippie movement. I was going to say, give us an idea of the time in as much as now, and I mentioned at the start, we're so used to the ideas of ethics, the environment, Greenpeace's ideologies, but at the time, they were quite new and they faced quite a lot of resistance. Yeah, I think one of the first posters they did was a billboard in the street which said, ecology, look it up, you know, because no one had really encountered mm. the word ecology at that time. And I think the idea of creating a movement for the environment that was on a similar scale to, to that of the civil rights movement, the peace movement, was really new as an idea. You know, I think what they succeeded in was they, they did create a shift in the way we understand our place in the environment and our place as part of nature. Do you believe that? I think that, I mean, what's the, the film's called How to Change the World, and in some ways that's a kind of ironic title. You well, know, I was going to ask I, I you, do you like, believe um, they did? I, yeah, I think in some ways that's a sort of, you know, I'm not sure there's an easy way to say how to change the world. Um, but I do think that they, I think they did two things. I think specifically, I think you could credit the saving of some species of whales to the fact that, you know, in 1974-5, they caught this image which suddenly alerted the world to the plight of whales. So I think that was one of their successes. I think the other thing is that they did shift our understanding of nature, you know, particularly through whales, which Bob saw as a symbol for all sorts of other things, as, as not necessarily things that are just there to supply us with cosmetics and uh, and oil, but um, but, but as, as something kind of that needed to be protected mm. for it, for its own self, for its own sake. If you've just joined us, that voice you're hearing is director Jerry Rothwell. We're talking about his new documentary. It's called How to Change the World, revealing never-before-seen archive footage to bring the story of the pioneers of Greenpeace to life. Now, sadly, the leader, Bob Hunter, that we were mentioning a little bit earlier, passed away. But you did interview a lot of the other key founders. How difficult it was it to interview them then? Because actually, relations are not so cordial as we discover through the film a bit later on. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the, the one thing they're all united on is that their love of Bob Hunter, but that's about it. <laughs> um, I think that they're coming to an age, I guess they're in their late 60s, 70s, 80s, some of them, when they really wanted to sort of reflect publicly on this moment in their lives that has really shaped the directions that they've taken. You know, most of them were in their early 20s at the time, or a little bit older. And these events determined really the rest of their lives. And I think they all wanted to put their perspective out there. Uh, so actually, it was it was relatively easy once I'd contacted people to to, to engage them in, in making the film. And we made the film over a seven year period. It wasn't the only thing we were doing over seven years, but that allowed us mm. time to develop, you know, good relationships with people and to really understand what they were about and, and what they wanted to talk about. It really is illustrated the dynamics and actually how much I think Bob mentions it in some of his writings that actually we're almost our own worst enemies when it comes to trying to initiate change with the petty arguments that we have often. Yeah, I think that I mean anyone involved in the sort of management of groups will see will see a lot of things they recognise in the early Greenpeace because so, as soon as they got that that twenty seconds of footage of, of 
of um, a harpoon being fired over their heads into a whale, and that got on global, global television. That that really changed the group. It, it shot mm. it, sort of catas- uh, you know, catapulted it into into global consciousness. And with that came a set of demands, came issues about money, ego, power. You know, who's in control? What the tactics should be? And they had to sort of. Um, change from a from a young group of people doing something fairly idealistically and passionate into a much more sort of management based strategic organisation, and that was very painful. And they were perhaps also not the right people to be doing that. I'm wondering if you can even draw some links from your own experience as as a young documentary filmmaker going out into the world, wanting to change the world. How much when? Things start to go global. Success starts to come in. Do you stay true to that innocence that you had, a bit like Bob and the rest of his band of pirates, as it were, on on the Greenpeace, and how much you can stay true to those visions you had when you first start out? I mean, I I think change is always complex. I mean, that's why I sort of see the title as a little bit of a joke in a way, that that I think that it's... I hope the message of the film, if there is a message, or I hope what people take away from it, is that these things that we're we see as very you know negative and destructive around the, the ways personalities fall out with each other are kind of inevitably the part of working together with other human beings and what we have to do is find ways through those things rather than kind of throw up our hands and and decide to to abandon the the, the project altogether what i also really liked is going back to bob hunter's writings is i assume that you posed what he said to the people who were part of his his group at the start subsequently to get their reactions and their recollections. Were you surprised at how people's recollections of the same event vary widely? Yeah, I mean, I tried in the film to get an interplay between the past and mm. present. So we're both seeing these people as in their younger selves and we're seeing them now. And sometimes, you know, the sound is from the past and the pictures from the present and, and the other way around. Because I wanted to get a sense of, you know, the continuity of people's lives, you know, how we're the, we're the same people as we were when we were 20 and, and now we're 60. But actually, we're also very different. One of the things that I imagine is very difficult as a, as a documentary filmmaker is the fact that when you're doing something 30, 40 years ago, it's obviously people's memories change. But actually you use that to your advantage to get an idea of, again, further human dynamics and interaction. Yeah, I mean, the, the history of Greenpeace, like any history, is a sort of contested history. People believe very different things about what happened, remember it differently. And I try to, rather than try and sort of, in a way, gloss over those into one version of the past, I try to play them against each other so that we understand that, you know, how different people experience these different events very, very differently. Because I think that's true to sort of human experience. You know, we yeah. we, we constantly sort of reinterpret the things that have happened to us, um, uh, often in sort of ways that... that favour our own version and that's certainly what's happened with Greenpeace. How much of a challenge is it to tell a story largely through archival footage? It's really, I mean I'm, I'm used to also making documentaries where I'm shooting a story that's unfolding and obviously when you're filming that you're constantly thinking how am I going to cut this, what place does it have in the final film? With archival footage, obviously, you're working with, with material that's often been shot for a completely different purpose, not for, for, the, for the ways that you're going to use it. So, for example, the Greenpeace material, you know, I really wanted to explore the characters and the people, but that wasn't a priority for them when they were shooting stuff for, for news about, about the things they were campaigning against. So there's that frustration in a way that sometimes the camera's not turned around and onto the things mm. that you want. Um, but instead, you sort of, you, you build it up in this kind of enormous patchwork of the huge amounts of archival material we had. What impact did that footage have at the time on the world? 
I think the, the the whaling footage had an enormous impact because I think people some weren't... of these images are really quite shocking. I have to say. Yeah, I think I think people weren't aware that you know, fifty miles off the Californian coast, there was this kind of slaughterhouse on water happening, and the Greenpeace footage sort of highlighted that, and it did have a, a big effect. I mean, it started off campaigns, you know, really throughout the world, which resolved in the end into a, a moratorium on on whaling in 1982. So I think that's probably Greenpeace's biggest success from that period. What impact did that footage have on you how many years later? I was a sort of teenager, I think, in the late 70s. I can still, I can remember seeing and being aware of it, but watching it again, I think I understood it in a different way um, this time. Partly I was just seeing vast quantities of, you know, certainly the seal cull footage, which Mm. is incredibly bloody um, and brutal. You know, in some ways you can, there are all kinds of arguments you can use around the, the Canadian seal hunt, for example. But the fact of, you know, these images of, of baby seals being bludgeoned in there, you know, whilst nursing on the ice flows is such a sort of brutal image. It, yeah, it has, quite, it has quite an impact. Well, I want to ask you a bit more about changing technology and how it played a part in the development of Greenpeace. But first, if I can just play a short clip, another short clip from the film. Both Fred and I are immediately escorted to CBS station's headquarters and have the footage developed. We start hand-winding the film through a movie scope. It's about a four-inch screen. Fred pans the camera to the right. He comes upon a zodiac, pans a little further to the right, and there are the whales. And as he panned back, the harpoon entered the frame. We got the shot. Fred got the shot. And that was the moment that launched the modern environmental movement. And now film seems to play an enormous part. How advanced were these people in knowing that, realising the impact that film had? A bit like what we see nowadays when we talk about going viral for good and for bad. We see groups like ISIS knowing the, the power of film. But at that time, I, th- I think the sort of the, the way that technology could spread images was was very new. I think you know actually most of the early Greenpeace founders had, had got some experience of journalism, and were sort of you know had read Marshall McLuhan, who was talking about the global village and the way television was was kind of linking us together. So I think they were they were very aware of what they were doing, and I think in a way what they did was sort of define the way in which protest or campaigning has happened since you know for good or ill you know the the power of a powerful image to draw people's attention to something just for example recently with a tragic image of the Syrian child on the beach Mm. you know that those kinds of images can really focus the world's attention on something you know for good and ill because I think that, that that sometimes also those images obscure what the issues are they 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 don't help us understand or give us a false understanding of what's happening. How important was it, though, to create a brand out of Greenpeace? Well, I mean, I think this is the great argument of the film, really, is that during the 70s, Greenpeace, I think, went from a movement, uh, a very sort of decentralised grassroots movement, to becoming an organisation. And Mm. really, at the point at the end of the film, these founders have to kind of give away the thing they've created into a new, much more corporate structure in order to uh, let it survive, because they'd nearly kind of torn it apart within their own arguments. And the structure that they handed it into was obviously a successful one. You know, Greenpeace, 30, 40 years later, is is still a very powerful force in the world. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's set up internationally, it's federated, and it has a very strong brand. And I guess it operates much more in the way of any, any contemporary organisation. Um, uh, and again, you know, that has, that has 
pluses and minuses. I think somewhere during the interviews that I did with people, somebody said we need a, and he he thinks we need an ecology of ecologists, you know. And I think that's that's right. There's a place both for the the organisation that's kind of large and powerful and is able to hold discussions with governments about climate change targets. And, you know, the 12 hippies in the boats who are able to point at something that none of us mm. are looking at and say, what's going on here? How much has Greenpeace changed over the subsequent years? How closely allied do you think it is to their original vision? Do you think I, they could even have a vision as global as what Greenpeace has become? I think Greenpeace now is a very different animal. I mean, I made this film without, you know, it wasn't... Um, a Greenpeace-sanctioned film in any mm. way. And I think it would have been really hard to make the film if you were constantly sort of looking over your shoulder about what the present-day organisation, how, how it felt it wanted to be represented. And for me, I was trying to tell this this historical story about really about a group of friends who almost by mistake created <laughs> created Greenpeace. Yeah. I don't think they, any of them expected to, that, that to happen. We've now seen Greenpeace has hired a team of investigative journalists as part of plans to make investigations one of the three pillars of its environmental campaigning, which sort of makes you think of Bob Hunter, who himself was a journalist. How hard was it for him to have life after Greenpeace? So I think the trajectory of Bob within the film is almost to sort of want to break down when he needs mm. to step back from being a leader. And it took him a couple of years, in a way, after handing over Greenpeace piece to to really get back on his feet but he sort of reinvented himself as a both a writer he continued to write and and wrote some fantastic books and as a television journalist he was the environmental correspondent for a tv station in toronto um and i think when the issue of climate change sort of reared up he saw that very early he wrote a book called thermageddon i think in the you know in the late 80s maybe which is very sort of prescient about uh, about climate change and I think in a way he, he sort of found a, a new role uh, through a different set of media. When you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jerry, what's the reaction been to the film so far? It's been it's been very exciting. I mean, the film's in 140 cinemas in the UK tonight. Um, and we'll carry on in some of those cinemas over the weekend. It's being released in the US, in Germany, and in Australia. Um, you know, I hope people come to it not feeling they're going to be preached at, not feeling they're going to see a very dry history of Greenpeace. Um, you know, in some ways, it, it sort of plays out, hopefully, as a kind of thriller. But it's had a really positive response, great reviews, and, and we opened the film at Sundance Film Festival, which was very exciting. And Greenpeace, what have they said? Um, to begin with, I think Greenpeace were a little anxious about the film. I mean, I mean, we had a fantastic uh, relationship with the archivist in Greenpeace who gave us pretty free reign of the footage. Uh, there was no Greenpeace editorial control in the film. I think if, if the film had started a different way and Greenpeace had decided to commission a film about its history in that period, it would be a really different mm-hmm. film. But Greenpeace have, you know, supported the release of the film. They're helping get it, getting it out. So I think they kind of see that, you know, looking at that history and looking at Kind of the really inspirational model of these these you know young people really risking their lives for a for a cause they believed in it can only really inspire a new generation. What's next for you, Jerry? 
Um, well, next for me is a, a film, completely different subject, about wine fraud. It's about a case recently in the States where uh, a young man kind of became a very well-known wine collector and started selling and put around about $100 million worth of fake wine into the vintage wine industry. Goodness me, you do like variety, don't you, Jerry? <laughs> Director Jerry Rothwell, congratulations on the success of your movie. It was a wonderful movie. I do recommend going to watch it. It's out in cinemas at the moment, and it's called How to Change the World. Thank you.